0: Amen. That is a <clears throat> powerful way to come into our time in Scripture today. And um, we're going a little bit different direction today than I had originally intended. And um, I'm confident in what God is going to do and What he's going to teach and proclaim. And so we're just going to trust his word today to do the talking. And um, some of this shift is uh, spurred on by recent news that um, we've seen. And others of it is just a reality of where we're at as the church. Not just in Canton, but around the world. And... Even more specifically, I would state here in the U.S. <clears throat> I don't know if you're aware of it, but in the past week, there were three mass shootings in our country. One in California last Sunday, where three were killed and 15 were injured. One yesterday morning in El Paso, Texas, where 20 were killed and 26 were injured. And then late last night, early this morning, yet another one in Columbus, Ohio. Or Dayton, Ohio, I'm sorry. Where nine were killed and 26 were injured. And... This has become something that is far too common. And when things like this become common, we become apathetic, as we have talked about the last month. And my fear is that the more this happens, the more tragedy like this takes place, the more calloused we will become. And yet, we recognize in the truth of Scripture that God is near to the brokenhearted. And that when people mourn, the church should mourn. And when there's people hurting, that we should hurt. And so as we come to Scripture today, I don't want to just gloss over these realities and move on as if nothing has happened. And while there is a balanced church where we step back and we go, we cannot allow ourselves to be defined and burdened consistently by wickedness or evil because we know we have a Savior there still should be this recognition in and of ourselves that we hurt with those who hurt. And that when people around us, whether they are a part of the church or not, are in pain, that we extend the same grace and love and care that Jesus Himself has extended to us. And so I want to open this morning... And just pray, not just for those who are feeling the after effects of such devastation and hurt and pain, but for us as well that we would indeed be aware and recognize when people are hurting And not just recognize, but that we would be even further encouraged by what we know from God's Word. And we're going to see here in a minute how we should respond. Because I don't know about you, but I get really weary of so many people saying, I'll just pray for you. And the church has got to move beyond the staple of passive action, and rather make a stance and say, no, we are going to be different from the rest of culture, we're going to do something about it, regardless of what political side of the argument you are on, we're united in Christ. And so I want us to pray that our focus, as Hebrews 12 calls us to would be fixed on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, was seated at the right hand of the throne of God. So let's pray together this morning. Father, we come before you, and God, I am am burdened, I am... Burdened by the wickedness that surrounds us. And Lord, I am burdened by our own tendency to become apathetic in our thoughts, in our intentions. God, forgive us for the ways that we profane the gospel of Jesus. In instances like these, where we make it more about ourselves than we make it about the hurting, broken, lost world around us. May we be a church that changes the tide in the midst of a cultural stream that is moving more and more towards a post-Christian world. And may we indeed be authentic, true followers of Christ in everything we say and do. God, may your truth speak to us this morning in a way that transforms us and that moves us from where we are to where you desire us to be. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. So I'm going to ask you to turn your Bibles to Acts, the book of Acts. And we're going to be undergirding everything for the next month with a foundation laid in Acts. But then we're going to spend a majority of our time today in Romans chapter 12. And the book of Acts comes right after the Gospels, what we identify as the Gospels. And when you hear that term... It can mean one of two things, all right? At the core, it means the same thing, but when we say gospel, we mean good news. Everyone say good news. And when you hear the word gospels stated, it's usually in reference to Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the first four books of the New Testament in your Bible, okay? And so don't get confused, it can be really confusing. And the reason I'm explaining this for the rest of you guys who are going, well, yeah. Well, I'm assuming there's people here who don't know this stuff, okay? Because those of you who may be here and not know this stuff, I am so glad you're here. I love that you are here. And I want to do everything I can to not assume you know things and leave you feeling excluded from the rest of this teaching, okay? So if you're if you're new here and I say something and you're like, I have no idea what that means, talk to me afterwards. Because I'm one of those people who's known it for so long and have studied it so much that I can just become, I can blow past things and go, oh, everyone knows this. And you don't, okay? I love when I meet people who don't know this stuff because it excites me and it gives me an opportunity to share it with you. And so in Acts, what's taking place is after the Gospels, the Gospels, the good news, everyone say good news. Okay? is the story of Jesus and why He came. That's why they're called the Gospels. And coming off of this, we step into really where we see the church established for the first time. And Jesus is before His disciples in Acts chapter 1, and then He ascends, okay, that He literally went up and left them, and saying, I'm going to go, I'm going to prepare a place for you, and when I return, I'll take you with me. Okay, so this is all taking place at the beginning of Acts. Now understand that Jesus' disciples, these are his followers, these these guys. At this point, there's 11 of them. Okay, these 11 guys are standing there. They have walked with Jesus throughout the last three and a half years of his ministry. They've seen him crucified and now rose again from the dead and now he left again. And so you can imagine the confusion in their eyes when this happened. And yet, <clears throat> they were given a specific mission. And we saw that mission in what we call the Great Commission, okay? It's really just a command that Jesus gave. When he said in Matthew 28, go therefore and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And, lo, I am with you even to the end of the age. Now, when we come to Acts chapter 2, Peter starts preaching this sermon at what we've identified and called Pentecost. And the Holy Spirit comes upon the disciples, and Peter starts proclaiming this message of the gospel. And I want to pick this message he's sharing up in verse 36 of Acts chapter 2, just to give you an idea of the response and specifically what he was stating here. When he says, Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus, whom you crucified. Now, he spent this whole time talking about Jesus' ministry, Jesus' life. I would encourage you to read the whole of Acts chapter 2 on your own and understand the entirety of what he was proclaiming. But really, what he was hammering down to the wire in this moment is you are responsible for Jesus' death. And really, at the core, we could recognize based on our understanding Of Romans 3 and Romans 6, which says all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is what? Eternal life through Jesus. Okay? And at the core of that, Jesus had to die because you and I are sinners. So it's logical for us to make the connection that if we have not sinned, okay? And this goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden in Genesis with Adam and Eve. If we had not sinned, Jesus would not have had to die. But we believe God is just, okay? Everyone say, God is just. And because God is just, it required that the penalty be paid. The wages of sin is death. And so in light of that, the recognition here, this Jesus whom you crucified, it begs two responses. Either I don't care or, whoa, wait a minute. In verse 37 it says, now when they had heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ. For the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off. You get that? Do you understand that? It is for you, for your children, and for all who are far off. Everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words he bore witness and continued to exhort them saying, save yourself from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized and there were added that day about three thousand souls. Three thousand people heard the gospel. Everyone say good news. And they recognized in and of themselves that I need to make a decision here. They asked the question, what shall we do? And Peter said, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Now, the interesting thing is that itself, in and of itself, would preach a great evangelistic message where we say, this is the gospel, the good news that Jesus came and died and rose again so that you and I can walk in newness of life. But one of the hesitations there is that it didn't stop there. Instead, it went on and we see a transformation that takes place not just in the individual's life, but communally in the whole corporate setting of what's going on. And this is where we step into how this ties into authentic, real, true community. In verse 42 where it says, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers... And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Now this is this is an authentic picture of true community. Now the, the bigger question there is, however, what is at the root Of this community. What is at the root of this transformation? And that brings me to what our main focal point of today is. And that is that authentic community is rooted in the gospel. Authentic community is rooted in the gospel. Okay? Now I want you to turn to your neighbor and I want you to tell them that. Right now. Okay? Turn and say authentic community is rooted in the gospel. Just say that. Just so we're all clear. Okay? And based on what we've stated previously, gospel means what? What is it? Good news. Okay? Now I want you to turn with me to Romans 12. Because this is where I want to emphasize this today. Romans chapter 12, so we were in Acts, you go forward one book and go to chapter 12. And just a brief background on the book of Romans. This is a book written by the Apostle Paul. This guy who was previously called Saul. And Saul, who we now know as Paul, if you want to read his whole story, read Acts chapter 9. Okay, And the gist of it is... Saul, who is now referred to as Paul, was a persecutor of Christians. He was out killing Christians left and right because he was so convinced that the law was the only way. And what I mean by the law is the list of rules and regulations that God had established clear back in the book of Exodus and said, I need my, I want my people to follow after these rules. And so he was an enforcer of those rules. He talks about that in his own testimony. And then he meets Christ on a road to Damascus, and his whole course is changed. And so now he goes on this massive church planting journey, and he is one of the foremost people we see sharing the gospel with anyone and everyone he comes into contact with. He is going from place to place, he's beaten up, he's shipwrecked, he's left for dead, basically was thought to be dead multiple times, got up, went to the next place and continued to do it. And he writes now to the church in Rome. And you see that in Romans chapter 1 in the introduction where he identifies he's writing to those who are in Christ within the city of Rome. And so he's encouraging and exhorting the church. Everyone say the church. With these truths. And when we come to Romans chapter 12, many people would quote the first part of Romans 12, but leave out the rest. And the first part of Romans 12 emphasizes this reality that you need to present yourself as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual form of worship. And we, we often stop there. Oh, Okay. I'm going to be self-sacrificial, I'm going to give up the things that I love, the things that I know, the things that I... I'm going to pursue Jesus. Well, what we don't often do is go to the next part of this, which gives a lot more detail. And so I want us to look specifically at verses 9 through 21 today. Understanding authentic community is rooted in the gospel... Authentic community is rooted in the gospel. It starts off in verse 9. It says, Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Now I want to pause there for a minute and understand in these first couple of verses that authentic community... Rooted in the gospel is built on a foundation of authentic love It's built upon a foundation of authentic love This very verse starts off in verse 9 Let love be genuine Now if you were to ask someone what genuine means It means authentic, real, true This is the real deal What's even more interesting So for those of you who aren't aware The word love in the Greek language is a complicated word because there's three different forms of it. And so while we have one word in our English language for love with multiple meanings, they have three different words for love, each one with their own meaning. The three forms of love are eros, okay, eros, which is the Erotic love or the feeling of love, passionate love that I might have with my spouse, okay? My significant other. There is phileo love, which is a brotherly kind of love that I would have. And then there is agape love. And agape love happens to be the word that's used here when it says, let love be genuine. The other instance where this word is used happens to be in the very love that Jesus has for us, that God has for us through Christ. The same unconditional, sacrificial love is exactly what Paul has encouraged the Roman church here. Let love be genuine. It doesn't stop there. It goes on. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. How many of you would say that can be a challenge in this day and age? Would you agree that that is a challenge sometimes? And it starts by us having to recognize and ask the question, how do I define evil? Well, if we look at the rest of Scripture, all of a sudden we realize that the contrast to evil is holiness. Holiness. It's righteousness, in essence. The only one who is perfectly, holy, perfectly righteous, perfectly true is God himself. And so therefore, you can move the other direction and say, if God is everything that is right and holy and true, then what is evil-defined is it's anything that goes the opposite way. Now, all of a sudden. That's, I don't like to hear that because you know what that means? It means I'm in and of myself evil and wicked just in my humanness, in my desire to pursue myself and my own desires, my own wants, my own, my own purposes that any of those that move away from who God is or who God's called me to be, I'm now in that camp. Why is that significant? Because that's where the gospel, the good news. Everyone say good news. That's where that intersects. To where scripture reminds us that there's none righteous. No, not one. Not one of us. But Jesus was. And it was demonstrated through, God's, God's love was demonstrated through the sacrifice that Christ gave we see this even more specifically talked about in 1 John chapter 4. I'm going to read that. It says, Beloved, let us love one another for love is from God and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. In this Now, that's a big word. It means the substitute. He took the penalty. That's that's what that means. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. How many of you want that to be like the defining factor for who we are? Like when people step into the church, that they go, man, these people love like Jesus. Now, if that was the case, would we not say that that is authentic, real, true? It's built upon this foundation of authentic love. And that's not some fluffy, flighty definition of what love is. That is love rooted in the gospel. It's rooted in what Jesus did on the cross, church. Verse 11 in Romans 12 says, do not be slothful in zeal. In other words, don't be lazy in zeal. Be fervent, that's passionate in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. So the second thing I want you to grasp here as we look at Romans 12 is that authentic community rooted in the gospel passionately serves the Lord. Do not be slothful in zeal. But fervent, passionate in spirit, serve the Lord. Now, where does this become challenging? It becomes challenging, church, when we start assuming that in order for us to be unified, we have to be uniform. Okay, Unity does not equal uniformity. And in fact, the other way is true. Uniformity does not equal unity either. What I mean by that is this reality that we could all look the same and act the same and not be unified. And at the same time, what we see in Scripture is this model of community that none of us are the same, but we're all united. Under what? Rooted into the gospel. Rooted into the truth of who Jesus is. And the cool thing about that is that means that God hasn't called me To be like my other brother in Christ. And he hasn't called you to be like me. Rather he's called all of us. To the same mission that's rooted back into Jesus. I saw a great illustration of this once. Where a pastor stood on stage and he held up. Have you ever seen those cool utensils in your kitchen? Most of you may have them. Where you can literally slice an entire apple at one time. It's amazing. I didn't have this as a kid until I got a little bit older, and then this. All of a sudden, we had one in our kitchen. It was like my favorite thing to do, even if I didn't want an apple. Because you just felt so powerful. It was just, it sliced and cored the core. You pull it out of the middle. Now, you don't want to know. Another cool tool is a cheese grater. You take a whole giant block of cheese and turn it into shredded cheese. I've always thought the coolest cheese graters were the ones they have at Olive Garden where they come out and they're like, would you like some cheese? <laughs> and if you, if you, if the first time you're there, you, you think they're gonna stop, but they're waiting for you to tell them. You know what I'm talking about? And you just pot, all of a sudden, it's, well, okay. That's enough, alright. But, but the, what I'm, what I'm seeking to illustrate is between those two, is one better than the other? Well, one is greater. No, that was dumb. Okay. <laughs> but the reality is, it would be silly for us to take one and say, oh, the cheese grater can't slice the apple. Or I, if I'm like this apple slicer, I can't do what the cheese grater does. Well, yeah, but look what you did to the apple. This is amazing. And all I'm illustrating here is... We can be united and should be united under one common thing. And that's the fact that you and I are all sinners. And we all need a Savior. And we root back into that. We say, man, I'm going to pursue what God has gifted me in. And I'm going to serve the Lord passionately. I'm not going to be lazy in my zeal for these things because of what Jesus has already done for me. And there's community in that. Look at verse 13 says, contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. And what we can grasp from that is that authentic community is sensitive to needs. Church, there are so many needs right outside these doors. And there are some people who are seeking to meet those specific needs. They're seeking to root into those. And man, we should be excited when we see someone else who's rooting into a need and they're saying, oh, look at what's happening. And it should motivate the rest of us to go, oh, where is my niche? What has God gifted me And I want to jump in here and I'm going to serve. I'm going to be passionate about it. I'm going to root into these because I know what Jesus has already done for me. Authentic community is sensitive to needs. Look at verse 14 With good. Now, the thing I want to emphasize to you in the last large section of that chapter is that authentic community rooted in the gospel is marked by humility. It's marked by humility. What do do I mean by that? Well, what I mean by that is that Those who believe in the name of Jesus to be saved Have no reason to believe that they have done Anything to deserve that of their own will How much would be enough How much good would I need to do to outweigh the bad stuff that I've done Or the, the selfish things that I've pursued What is it that I would need to do to make up for all of that The reality is we easily come to the conclusion that it would never be enough It would never be enough. And yet, in the midst of this, there's a humility that should come from me recognizing, even though I'm not enough, Jesus was, and He died for me. And He didn't, He didn't, He didn't have to. God didn't have to send His Son. God could have wiped everyone out and said, I'm done with this. I'm tired of this. You people, no matter how many times I show up, no matter how many times I spare you, no matter how many times, you always go the other way. Do you, do you see how God has no reason, logical reason, to say I'm going to save you, and I'm not just going to save you from the stuff here. I, I'm eternally going to save you. You're you're going to be with me forever. And so, then, in light of that, community, authentic community rooted in the gospel, reads a section of scripture that says, If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink, for by so doing, you will heat burning coals on his head. The rest of our culture, church, will look at that and go, Are you loony? Are you crazy? Do you have any idea what this person has done to me? I feel like I have that same conversation with my kids all the time. Do you know what she did to me? Can you believe that? And then we go back to verse 18. It what does it say? If possible, so far as it depends on who? You. And that's not me standing up here telling all you, oh, it, it's, it's all on you. No, it's, the finger comes back to each one of us. As far as it depends on you, live peaceably with the, oh, whoa, wait a minute. Peaceably with who? What did it say? All? No, no, no. Surely he meant live peaceably with your family. Now some of you are going, well that could be more challenging than my friends. <laughs> Or maybe, maybe the other side, you're going, wait, Oh, surely he means live peaceably with just each other. Well, that's not what he specifies, is it? He could have said, as far as it depends on you, live peaceably with each other. He didn't say that. It's with all. That, that takes a special kind of humility, church. And I'm telling you. To live in harmony with one another, verse 16. To bless those who persecute you, verse 14. And even to rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Takes a measure of humility. And churches should be motivated by our recognition of what Jesus already did for us. And if we try to form community any other way, it's going to fall short. Why is it going to fall short? Because any other aspect of community is rooted in my wants. It's rooted in my desires. Yes, I can have fellowship and friendships outside of the community of faith. There are people who could testify that all over the place. But what happens in a standard, non-Christian, non-rooted in the gospel community when someone wrongs someone else? What do we do? (laughs) I'm done with that. I'm going to do what's best for me. And that person is not best for me. Do my thing. Or when we face evil and wickedness like what we've seen in the last week. The tendency of broader culture is to maybe verbally care for a season, but then... Man, we, we work that and change it to our own benefit, to further whatever agenda we want to push or further. And I, I'm not just saying that because that's what the news does. I'm saying that's because I, I hear brothers and sisters in Christ who do the same thing. I, I'm guilty of doing the same thing. And yet, when I recognize who Jesus is, and I recognize what He has done for me, what he's done for you, and what he's done for every person, every wicked... Do you hear this, church? The gospel is not just for those who are okay people. That's what we saw in Acts, wasn't it? It's for you, for your children, and for all who are far off. Do we pray that? For those who are so deeply ingrained into wickedness, do we pray that they would come to faith in Christ? Do we hope and long that they would be with Jesus? That we would worship the one true God together? Do we pray that? I fear that we don't. And church, when we don't, we are in danger of becoming calloused, not just to the wickedness around us, but to the very gospel by which we're saved. so how do we apply this? How do we apply these truths? Because this is challenging. And church, I've got to tell you, this is an extremely intense challenge to me this morning. As I think about and resonate with the reality of what we see amongst our culture. I'm with you in your burdens and your cares about how this is working out. I am with you in the desire to see things changed, but... We will not change anything just sitting here. Authentic community is rooted in the gospel, and we're going to see so many other aspects of that to come. But verse 21 is a great application point in Romans 12, where it simply says, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. What does that mean? Well, if I'm overcome by evil... It means I've chosen to let evil or wickedness be the driving force in my life. How could that happen? Well, if I get more of my source of truth from the news than I do from the Word of God, chances are I'm going to allow myself to be overcome by evil. If I allow my community of people around me to be rooted in the world rather than rooted in Christ, I'm going to preface that not saying you should only have Friends or community with people who are in in Christ Rather what i'm saying is the more we understand of the mission that god has given us as the church The more crazy we will seem to people outside the church And so the more naturally you will be drawn to a community of people who share the same mission Unified not uniform unified Do not be overcome by evil but overcome evil with good. What's the demonstration of that good? It's Christ's sacrifice. It's the humility he showed when he went to the cross while we were still sinners. Romans 5. Not while we were good or good enough, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So process that. Think about how that is lived out in your own life. Reread Romans 12. Read Acts 2. Challenge yourself with those questions. Because if this stuff is real, and it is, it's around us, how we respond is so important. So I'm gonna ask the worship team to come. And as they come, and we close today, here's what I want you to do. I'm actually gonna encourage you to stay seated. And we're going to sing this song, but maybe you just need to use this time to reflect and to think about how this looks practically in your setting today. And maybe this time you just need to pray that God would soften you so that you can rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. And maybe this is an opportunity for you to evaluate the community that you're a part of? Am I passionately serving? Am I am I doing what God has called me to do? Or am I a cheese grater trying to be an apple slicer? Okay. But more importantly, some of you here today need to evaluate and go, What is at the root of what I desire at all? Is it myself? Is it my ambitions, my, my own drive, my own sense of worth comes from my accomplishments? Or is it rooted in Jesus? And that's the starting place. If you haven't made that decision, that's got to be where you start. And maybe you're just struggling with all of this. Maybe the weight of this is burdening you too, or the weight of something else. And so you're going, ah, oh, I, I have got to just surrender this I've got to give this up to God. And so as we're seated and we're processing this as, as they're leading us in the song, sing as you feel led, pray as you feel led. I'm going to be up here sitting. And if you if you this morning simply need prayer, or maybe you are wrestling with us and you're saying, I have not made a decision for Christ, and I need to do that. I need need to make a decision for Christ. Come sit with me and let me pray with you. Okay? Heavenly Father, we commit this to you. We trust that your word will not return void. We know that you equip us with everything we need to do the work that you've called us to. So may you be glorified in your church, in this community, in this nation, and in this world, we pray. In Jesus' name.